Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. If anything proves the kingship of Jesus Christ, it has to be his resurrection from the dead. You see, the book of Matthew is all about Jesus being king. And I stop to think, if anything is going to prove his kingship, it's got to be this. You see, as we come to the last chapter in Matthew's gospel, we see that it is a record of victory. You see, for 27 chapters, we've been walking with Jesus. And of course, you and I who know Jesus, we know the outcome But for 27 chapters, we're waiting. We're waiting. Well, wait a minute. He's dead. Wait a minute. You you crucified him. Wait a minute. He's in the grave. But no, 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 no. See, the the victory comes now because it thrills our heart as believers that even today we get to share in that victory. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about this. The last chapter is a chapter of victory. But here's what I want you to see. It's also a chapter of hope and freedom. And as I started to think about this, I started to think many of us, even today, are in need of hope. Of hope. Labor with me for just a moment. You realize that we've had a pretty um, a pretty rough, hopeless two years. You know, starting in March 2020, things got really weird. You go, well, like what? Well, you remember how it all started? It started with, hey, we're going to flatten the curve. We're going to flatten. We don't know what's going on, but we need to flatten the curve. Why don't you stay home? Let's shut everything down. And if that wasn't enough, they come back to us and say, now we're going to offer a well, it's not a law. You see, it's a mandate. And, and that's all they needed to say was a mandate. Because what happened was that people took it upon themselves to enforce that mandate. The government didn't have to. It was people. Hey, why aren't you doing this? Why are you not doing that? And, 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 and I mean, think about this, guys. Notice what it did to society in general. Notice what it did to believers. Notice what it did. It, 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 people went from hopeful about what the future held to being hopeless. As a matter of fact, if you look back in the last two years, you realize that many fell into a major depression during those times. And I'm even sad to say that that's still going on today in certain cities and states around the United States. No, this is Texas. We're free. We are free, but there's others that are not. Many fell into a deep sadness A deep sadness. And even if you do some homework, you realize that many, and we lost a many of people in the last two years. It was a hopeless two years. Alcohol sales was up 800%. Suicide was up. 
And I started to think about that. Even today, many are, are still feeling hopeless. The inflation rate is an all-time high. And then we add Christmas and presents and food and people get, well, they get hopeless, they get worrisome, a lot get anxious, anxious. Listen, man, you and I, we were created to be free. We were created to be free. We were created to talk, to share, to hug, and to love. You see, we were not created to dwell alone without others. We were not created to wear a mask. You understand that man and God created us that we have to understand and we need facial expressions. That's part of our nonverbal communication, our facial expression. You see, we lost so much not being able to see each other smile or laugh or even smirk when the joke wasn't that funny. We lost so much, did we not? We were told to stay six feet apart when God created us to be a community, when he created us to be tight-knit. And it was hard because you're a, some of you are huggers, and somebody would, would used to stick out their hand and, and okay, I'm a hugger, and you'd come and hug, and you'd be like, okay, <laughs> I'm not. And now you were told you couldn't do that. And so your arms hurt all day long because you couldn't hug anybody. You're like this. <sighs> That's how we were created, church. That's how we were created. Then they say, put this on for your safety. Follow the science. And I realized that, listen, the ability to understand facial expressions is an important part of nonverbal communication. All right? You, you understand that. Okay? If you only listen to what a person says and ignore their face, what their face is telling you, then you won't get the whole story. Am I right, men? Okay? If you ask your wife, how are you doing, and she's bawling or, or all that, and she says, I'm fine, the verbal is, oh, she's fine. But the nonverbal facial expression is she's not fine. You understand that. You understand that. Your facial expressions say more about than what you even saying with words. So for two years, we've lived a pretty, we lived in a pretty hopeless and hapless world. But I have some good news for you this morning. Today, we're going to see the resurrection of Jesus offers us eternal hope. It offers us freedom, not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's what the resurrection means to you. So, let me bring you up to speed about where we left off. Jesus had just died, if you recall, an excruciating, painful death on a Roman cross. Now, right before that, Jesus was scourged. You know this. He was whipped with the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes to punish him. I'm not going to go over what, what he went through because you can get it on the podcast, but it was pretty brutal that our Jesus would be beaten that severely. But Ben, 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 why do you keep bringing that up? I want you to see the love that he had for us. I want you to see that when you choose, let's say, iniquity, 
let's say I'm going to choose to sin, you can remember what Jesus did to reconcile you, and maybe you'd go, mm, no, I love him. You see, maybe the, the 39 lashes with the back lacerated where, where there, was, there was nothing left in his back would, would instead of you um, flirting with sin and walking close to the world, you'd say, no, 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 I'm going to sit back here. I don't want to do that. And somebody might ask you, why? What's the big deal? And you go, because I love Jesus. If you recall, after that, Pilate brought him to the praetorium. You remember he pronounced him not guilty. Yet the crowd yelled all the more, crucify him, crucify him. And if that wasn't enough, my Jesus stood in a purple road that was soaked now with blood, his blood, a crown of thorns shoved down on his head, his beard pulled out from his face, and his mission was still the cross. Then he was told to carry a hundred-pound crossbeam down the Via de la Rosa on his way to Calvary. And when he got there, they placed the crossbeam on the pole, and they crucified him. They nailed my Jesus and your Jesus to the cross. They hung him on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and at 3 p.m., Jesus died. Two of his last statements we find in John chapter 19, verse 30, says it is finished. Not, I am finished, but it is finished. Another statement was in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so this is the day that God died. Jesus is dead on the cross, and they wanted to bury him as soon as possible. What you need to understand at this point is that all of hell rejoiced. All of hell rejoiced. The world rejoiced. Even the Jewish people went home that night thinking they've accomplished something. You know that deceiver, right? You know one that's been going around? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's done. Crucified him today. What? What? Well, the Sabbath is coming, and so they wanted to bury him. It was the first day of unleavened bread, and according to John chapter 19, 40 through 42 says, Then they took the body of Jesus, they bound him in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So they wanted to bury him. But it was the Sabbath day, guys, from 3 to 6. So from 6, uh, 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday is known as the Sabbath. You have a 24-hour period. So basically, all they had was just a little bit of time. After Friday at 6, they could do no work. They couldn't do any work. They had to just go home. And, they, and so what they did is they had just put a little bit of a spice on Jesus, put him in the tomb, and they were going to wait for Sunday morning. You see, they couldn't come. Saturday night at 6 o'clock, it was dark, and of course, if you recall, they had sealed the tomb. They had sealed the tomb. When we were in Israel a couple of years ago, we learned that in Israel is the only place where you can get the Monday morning blues on Sunday. Because Sunday was the first day of the week for them. It's always been the first day of the week, so they had to... Wait, and that's where we left Jesus. He's in the tomb. The stone is rolled. Everybody went home. And I would like for you just a moment to put yourself in the sandals of those who were at the crucifixion. 
You know it's the Sabbath, and so now you have to wait 24 hours. A little bit more. I wonder if Saturday night you really didn't get any rest with the anticipation of getting up and going to finish preparing the body of Jesus. You see, you've heard the stories. He was going to resurrect. He was going to rise from the grave. But you're not sure. You're not sure. But see, that's where we pick up our story today. Matthew 28, verse 1. Let's take a look. Now, after the Sabbath, we know what the Sabbath was. As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, if you recall, two weeks ago, we learned that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they stood afar off as they, as they buried Jesus, right, to make sure everything was good at the tomb. Why? Because when somebody died, specifically any Jewish person, they took great care of the They wouldn't just... And so taking him down off the cross, it would be very careful, and they would wipe the blood off of his face, and they, were, and they would be praying and crying at the same time as they... And so Mary and the other Mary were just making sure that nothing happened to the lifeless body of Jesus. It's the least we can do. Look at him. Mary would tell the other Mary, let's come back and honor the Lord's body. Let's make sure that there's, there's, there's spices and the strips of linen. And You see, they didn't help Joseph and Nicodemus put the body in the tomb, but she was there to help later on. And speaking of Joseph and Nicodemus, do you remember their story? They lost everything for the sake of Christ. They lost everything. You realize that from this moment on, that Nicodemus woke up to a zero bank account. You you realize that no one wanted to um, socialize with Nick or Joseph anymore. Well, none of the old group. But this new group called the Way. Oh, they embraced him. Come on, come on, brother. Come on, brother. So don't ever feel like what you've given, given up for Christ is more than what you gained for Christ. Oh, they may not have a money in the bank, but they've got a family that far exceeds any of that. You see, the dinner table conversation isn't about, oh, uh, how we can make our next million, or who's influencing who, or who's wearing what, or can you believe that? It was now a little bit different story. It was about, wow. It's the same story as you and I have when we have dinner. Can you believe that it's soon? And we're going to go home. And what do you think heaven's going to be like? And I'm so excited. This is amazing. Wow, and tell me what God's doing in your life. Well, you don't understand what God's doing in my life. He's changed my heart. He's showing me here. He's doing this. Oh, it's great. It's glorious. And we have great. And it's called koinonia because it has great fellowship. You see, there's a spirit that Christians have together. We go, oh, my spirit bears witness with your spirit. We're brothers. We're brothers. Hey, that's my sister. That's my sister. That's my sister. This is what he's talking about. But Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they lost everything, church. They lost everything for the sake of Christ. Now notice, they're coming to finish the burial process. Jesus has just told them, and here's what I want you to see. Jesus had told them along the way, you understand this, 
He told his disciples, guys, I'm going to rise again. The Son of Man's going to die, and in three days he's going to rise again. Everybody nod your head. That, they, you know they told him, right? 27 chapters. He's told them. Can we agree that he's told them? I wonder if they're a lot like us. You go, what do you mean? I wonder they might have believed at the time, but now I see that they're behavior always determines our true belief. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me say that again. Behavior always determines your true belief. You understand that, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do, guys. Put your thinking caps on, okay? You go, what do you mean? Many times, you and I will believe something in Scripture in theory, but that belief never makes it to our heart to produce change. We oh, he believe I believe that. Okay. But but it's theory. Jesus is walking with again, guys, I'm going to die and and I'm going to rise in 3 days and they're like, "Cool." But I'm not sure if I believe that. How do you know? Behavior always determines your true belief. It does. It does. If you believe that a light on the street that is red means to stop, if you believe that, what are you going to do? Now, I don't mean you bust through the light, okay? I don't want anybody running in the sewer. I don't believe it. But see, belief is so important. Because the Bible says this, that the demons believe in God, and tremble. So what belief is Jesus talking about that changes our heart? Well, the Greek word believe is actually made up in th- with three different words. Three different words. This is the kind of belief. This is kind of the belief that says, hey, do you believe that the water is fine? And you go, yeah, it looks good. It might be cold. No, come on in. The belief is where you jump in the pool. You understand that. But it's made up of three words. Let me give them to you. The first Greek word is pisteo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Pisteo, and here's what it means. To have faith in, in respect to a person. A person. You have faith in a person to entrust. That's what believe means. But it's also another word. It's also another word. After pisteo, it means pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. But it means persuaded to have a reliance upon Christ for salvation. So not only do you have faith in Jesus, you're actually relying on him to be saved. And of course, the last word of the three is pitheo, P-E-I-T-H-O. And it means to be convinced with confidence These three words make up belief. So when I ask you, do you believe in Jesus? You say, here's my belief. This is a belief that changes a heart. It means I have faith in who Jesus is, that he took away my sin. I am persuaded my reliance is not on me, it's on Christ. And I'm convinced. I have confidence that I'm saved. That's the difference between an unbeliever 
and a believer. And a believer. When an unbeliever is making the transition from life to death, they're scared. They're really scared. They are afraid of the unknown. They don't know what's happening, where they're going to go, and how this is all going to go down. They do know one thing, because we all know this one thing, is that we will eventually die one day. Whether it's 90 years old, or 95, or maybe young, whatever it might be, we know that fact. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, we know that. But when a believer dies, it's glorious. Same scenario, only they're crying out to Jesus. They're, they're, they've got a smile on their face. They're, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Because see, for the believer, it's not death. You're simply moving. You're graduating. You're leaving this body. And some of us really need to leave this body here on earth. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's breaking down. I'm going to leave this here. I want, how many of you can't wait for your new body? Amen. Did you already put your request in? This is how you want it, you know? Six foot two. <laughs> you know? Some of you are here. I don't, I'm, not sure if we'll, I'm not sure if we'll recognize Joe Mabry in heaven. He might have hair. He'll be the guy in the golf course. That's who he'll be. That's who he'll be. I'll be with him. <clears throat> this is the kind of belief that we need because it produces change. Now, we know in a few short verses that the women here are going to experience this kind of belief. And you go, how, Pastor? Because they will see the resurrected Lord. They will see that. Now, now that I have your attention for just a moment, let me remind you um, of the story we're going to see. It's really a story of two sets of people and an angel. You have a set of women who believe and a set of guards who don't believe, and then you've got an angel. So let me introduce you to the angel. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Now we know this from the other Gospels. There were two angels. We're not going to go into that. We're just going to stick with what Matthew says. But the first thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed it, there's another earthquake. There's another earthquake. If you remember when Jesus died, the whole earth shook. And historically, we learned that this earthquake was felt over 600 miles away. Can you imagine an earthquake in Lubbock that is felt in Flagstaff, Arizona? Wow. Did you feel that? Where did it start? In Jerusalem. I mean, this is crazy. Well, here we have another earthquake. You go, Ben, what's the application? Here's what I want you to see. I don't know if you noticed, but when Jesus died, the earth shook, graves opened, people felt it. I mean, and now another one? Now another one? You go, what, 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 what's the point? I wonder if God, in his love for us, often moves mountains and earthquakes to get our attention. You see, maybe it's not an earthquake in your life. But make no mistake, he's been trying to get your attention. He always tries to get our attention. No, oh, not, not that he says, oh, oh, 
you're already saved, please come to salvation because we're already saved. But sometimes in our life, he tries to get our attention to bring us back into a closer walk with him. Can I get an amen? Or to keep us from destruction. You see, there are some times that I choose a path that I shouldn't choose. And I can justify it all six ways to Wednesday. I'm going to go down this path, Lord, you don't understand. And the Lord will bring several things in my life to what? To get my attention. Bro, you're going to head to destruction. You're going to destroy your family. You're going to destroy the church. You're going to mess up. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And I have to realize that it's not an earthquake in my life, but God loves me so much that he often, often will use outside circumstances to get my attention. As a matter of fact, if you will take a closer look to what's going on in the world, you will see that God is about to come and get us. And he's warning his people everywhere. Everywhere. Be careful. You see, because when the pandemic hit in 2020, everybody went, oh, Jesus is coming back. This is so cool. And now that things are sort of, we kind of go, oh, okay. Well, maybe he's not going to come back for a while. And then we start looking to 2025 and 2028 and 2030. And somebody mentioned 27 the other day. And I'm going, let's be careful. We need to stay focused. Because church, listen, it might be today. It might be right after lunch. We hear the trumpet and we're going home. We're going home. Well, how do you know that for sure? Here's what I do know. Eventually, God closed the ark. I, I have it written. He closed the... It, it was time. And I know, I know that's coming. Second thing we see, you go, what's that? We see an angel. Some people will say that it's Gabriel. Others, I'm like, I looked for it for a little while. I said, I'm not going to waste my time on, on uh, if, it's a, if it's Gabriel or not. But I do know that he comes from heaven and he rolls back the stone that men, it took several men to roll. And then he sits on the stone and you're like, okay, cool. Now, think about this. This is key. This is so good. You ready? The angel rolls away the stone, and so many people think, well, of course he rolled away the stone. Jesus is alive, and he had to get out of the tomb. That's not why he rolled away the stone. You understand that? He didn't roll. Jesus was already alive. Jesus was already out. You know what? In reality, he rolled away the stone to let us in. To let us in. But it gets deeper than that. Why? Because think about what the stone represents. It represents of those things in our life that's a hindrance from coming to Christ. How so? Jesus was in the tomb. The roll, the stone is there. You can't get to Jesus. He's in there. There's a stone rolled away. The angel goes, no, watch this. Now you can come to Christ. But the thing, it represents that. It represents that. Think about this. Think about your heart as part of the tomb. What stone is rolled in front of your heart that's keeping you in a closer, intimate walk with the God that created you? 
You see, there's no judgment here because I had to take a step back in my own life and realize there are a lot of things that I, there's a lot of stones that I've got to get out of the way. There's a lot of stones. And let me, let me, let me just be, let me just be vulnerable and insecure with you for just a moment. You see, growing up with, with death all around me, your mother, your sister and aunts and grandmothers and all this, the stone that I rolled in front of my heart was, okay, God, if this is what people do, this is what you're going to do. So I'm not going to let you in any further than I have to because I know what you're going to do. You're going to leave me just like everybody else. And I was like, the Lord's like, no, let me roll away that stone because I'm not like everybody else. Do you realize? Do you realize? you realize that many people that we would call agnostics or atheists simply have a stone rolled in front of their heart that they labeled God that is keeping them from experiencing all the... Well, see, God hurt me when I was little. Boom. Well, God could have taken care of that. Boom. And now they grow up and they go, there's no such thing as God because their heart is now covered with a stone. And when somebody sincerely comes and says, I'm an atheist, my first question is, where was the hurt? Tell me. And they can usually tell me the story of when they cried out to God and it didn't go their way and all of a sudden they go, okay, if that's how God plays, I'm not playing anymore. I can't believe that way. But church, I've got to ask you a very serious question. What stones are blocking your heart? The biggest stone that we put in our heart is our past. We allow our past to block our hearts to keep us from coming closer to Jesus. Let me say this to you. We all have a past. We all have a past. You see, none of you were born in church saved. Okay, your mom wasn't impre- your mom wasn't pregnant, and all of a sudden, ah, you were born on the front row in church, and you just stayed there, and you were born saved. None of us were. We all have, we all we've all messed up. But be careful that you have not allowed the enemy to roll the stone over your heart, roll the stone over those areas, and now you know you want a deeper, closer walk with God, but you can't. And the angel's going to come and say, "Hey, let's take away that stone because I want to draw closer to you." I want to draw closer to you. What's the third thing we see? The third thing we see is the angel sits on the throne. He sits on the stone, and I often wondered, why is he sitting on... He's just sitting there. Hey, how's it going? You're right. He pushes it out of the way, he sits there, and I thought, wow. But, but think about this. He sat defying all the powers of hell to roll the stone over the grave again. Right? Because what would have happened? Think about this. The, the angel comes down, earthquake, stone rolls, the demons go, ah! No! Get down there! And if they roll the stone back without a visual, hey, where's Jesus? Then what would that have done? The story would have fallen flat, would it? No, no, he's still in there. The stone's rolled back. But the angel goes, you're not going to move this stone. You're not moving this stone. 
This is victory right here. The angel sat as a guard to the grave, having frightened away the enemies. Now, if you have a stone in front of your heart and the angel rolls it away, let him stay there because it'll keep the enemy from coming back going, no, 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 roll it back, roll it back, roll it back. People are going to see you. They're not going to like who you are. Roll it back. And the angel says, no. But that's going to hurt, Lord. That's going to hurt. He goes, yeah, because it's only the touch of Jesus that can also hurt and heal at the same time. That's the only one. And that's where people struggle the most. Let me show you my heart. That he'll heal it if you show him your heart. Lastly, he's sitting there, and it's like lightning. He's like lightning. You know, I mean, this is like, the Bible says that his countenance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And I started looking up and I was thinking, think about this. When you see lightning, now every now and then we'll get a good lightning show here in Lubbock. But when you, when you think of lightning, what's the first thing? I mean, if it's like way over there, you're like, oh, that was cool. You'll, see, you'll stand in your garage and you'll look. But if that lightning hits across the street, it produces fear in me. You understand that, right? Oh, woof! You know, you see the tree go, fire. Ah, that was close. I start looking for metal, make sure I don't have any. <laughs> because it invokes, it invokes fear, awe, and a sudden power among anything blows us away. But it's just amazing. So I looked up lightning. What is lightning in the Bible? Well, it invokes, it symbolizes several different things. Let me just give them to you very quickly. It can signify God's mighty presence, a literal and or poetic sense. Lightning causes all people to tremble in reverence. We see that in Exodus. It also means that God's wrathful judgment against his enemies. Why? Satan fell like lightning from heaven, showing God's swift decree against him. Lightning can also be a sudden sign of Jesus' second coming. We saw that back in Matthew 24, 27. So lightning produces all this. But whatever it means, all I know is the angel is lit. Okay? Okay? To use a term. You go, what does lit mean? Well, he, is, he was lit up. <laughs> That's what I saw. But, but I want you to think about this and applying it to your life. Lightning and white as snow, it expresses the glory and the other expresses the purity. And I think that's important in our lives. As believers, we should exemplify the glory of God in what he's done in our lives and the purity moving forward. Moving forward. Now, in one verse, let me introduce you to the guards. Different from the women, although the women are afraid and are not shaking with fear. And some of you, if you're worried about time, don't worry. We're going to move pretty fast here after this. Now, I want to show you the difference between those who know God and love God and those who don't know God. You ready? Verse 4. And the guards shook in fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered the women and said, Don't be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly, tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going to go before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Guys, look at this. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. 
I want you to think about this. They see all of this and they go, and I don't know what that means. I don't mean if they fainted. I don't mean if they're paralyzed, because these are all things that dead men feel. Paralyzed, fear, can't speak. But I know this, and, and I started thinking about the guards, okay? Started thinking about the guards for just a moment. They've seen all of this. They saw the soldiers. They saw him seal the stone. There they are. And they go, I don't know what we have to do. Well, he said he was going to raise in three days. Well, well, let's just stay here. And all of a sudden, they see this giant earthquake. That stone. Here's a, there's a dude sitting on there. They see all of this. They're like, ah! But this is the start of a life that's distraught, don't you think? How so? Next week, we're going to see that they actually paid them to lie. Tell people that the disciples came and stole the body. Okay? Do you realize what lying does? It produces a guilt in you that you have to live with. And, it, and if you live with guilt, there's a lot of things that manifests in your life to rid that guilt. Alcohol, food, drugs, everything else. And I started thinking about these dudes. For the rest of their lives, they're gonna be, they can't say that they saw an angel. Uh, what did you see that night? Uh, they can't say that they fell asleep. Well, if you fell asleep, you should be dead. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to sleep. Well, what do you do? These guys are going to put these guys in a, just an awful situation. But here's what I, I thought. This event right here is going to affect them the rest of their earthly lives. Come on, somebody. Right? Unless they believe. Did you guys see it? There have been events in our lives that we had no control over that we have to give to God. Because if we don't, we're going to be just like these guards and trying to live with guilt that God never asked us to carry. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might Whatever you had to push down in order to live, God's saying, believe, let the resurrection heal that so you don't have to live with that guilt anymore. We're going, to see the, we're going to see the guards a little bit later on next week. But he talks to the women. I like what he says. These guys are scared so stiff that they're dead. It looks like they're dead. They can't speak. And he says, and he tells the women, don't be afraid. He says, I knew who you're looking for. Jesus, who's crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to underline. Just as he said. Jesus had been telling them. Hey, hey remember? Jesus told you he was going to rest. Yeah. Yeah. Just like he said. Now, Come and see. It's in, it, let, let me help your belief. Let me help you bring to a place where belief changes your heart. Look at the tomb. Come see. He's not laying here anymore. And they go, whoa, it's, whoo, I saw, these women saw them put the body in there and roll the stone. They're looking. Now he's gone. And what, is they, what, is, what does the angel say? Go tell the disciples. Go, quickly, tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into where? Help me again? You guys are good. 
and he will see, and, and you will see him there. Remember what I've told you. Okay? So here's the guy. He's like, come and see. Come and see. Let me offer proof. Blessed are you who haven't seen and still believe. Blessed are you. You didn't, you haven't seen. Now, I've gone to Israel and I've seen the tomb. That's empty. But there's something in me that goes, is this a real tomb? It's been, you know, it's empty. Blessed are you that haven't seen that empty tomb, but really believe that it's an empty tomb. And so this morning I'm sitting and I'm preparing and I'm going over my notes and I go, you know what? Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's just as, wow. He's alive. He's the first one that ever died and resurrected and stayed that way. You see, he resurrected other ones. You guys remember Lazarus? But they all died again. Okay? What a bummer. I don't know. It's like, I've already died. Call me back. I get to die again. How fun is that? You know? But he stays that way. So he tells the women, hey, come and see. Yeah, go go look, go look. He's not in there. Now go tell the disciples. Go tell the disciples to meet me at Galilee. That's where it's going to be. We're going to meet you at Galilee. Right? So look at verse 8. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Underline that. And ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. And so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and they will, and they will see me. Now, here's the thing. The word rejoice there is like, hello! They're, they're going, the angel said, Go. And so they take off running, and Jesus meets them, and he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And their reaction is they held him by the feet, and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Something's interesting is happening here, though. You go, what's that? Jesus told the fellas all this would happen. Jesus said, hey guys, listen, I'm going to rise from the grave and, and meet me in Galilee. Where do we find the disciples? They're hiding in fear in the upper room. You see, belief or behavior really determines our true belief. I can't tell you how many times I am much like the disciples hiding in the upper room when I should be like the disciples going to Galilee. What are you doing? Going to Galilee. Why? Jesus said he'd meet us there. Yeah, but no buts. Amen? It's the same thing for our church, guys. It's the same thing. We step out in faith. If Jesus said to do it, let's do it. If Jesus said, let's go, let's go. If Jesus says, plant another church, plant another church. If Jesus, whatever God says, we should really step out. We, oh, well, what did he say? I don't know. We're, we're over here hiding in my office. Well, we should pray more. Jesus said, I'm going to be in Galilee. Let's go to Galilee. You see, that should be in our hearts. If Jesus said it, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But the Bible says here that the women, and thank you so much, women, 
You bring a lot of, of balance to our lives. They ran out with fear and great joy. That's kind of like, wait, you can't have fear. No, this is awe. This is reverence. This is excitement. This is fear. But great joy. And here's what I wrote in my notes. The right kind of fear mixed with joy means we move. Bringing the word to the world. Jesus is alive. That's where they're going. What are they saying? Jesus is alive. He's alive. Right? The wrong kind of fear, it immobilizes us and it renders us ineffective. And we end up in the upper room hiding, hoping that the authorities don't come and get us. What did Jesus say? He said, go to Galilee. I'm not going. What was that? That was a knock on the door. I think so. (sighs) Simon, turn off the light. I heard Roman soldiers are looking for us. All of that stuff. The women are like, Let's go. Nobody thought to follow the women to where the disciples were? I mean, here they are running through the streets. So Ben, question for you. How do we get the right kind of fear? Ready? Jot this down. Understand the resurrection and what it means to you. Understand, that's the first thing, Get a good grasp of what it means. And then two, believe in the resurrection. Believe. Okay, so I have the right kind of fear. Where does hope come from? Well, here's the hope. Here's the freedom. Today we learned about the resurrection of Jesus. But let's be realistic. You come to church on Sunday morning... You walk out here going, that was an awesome, so wow, cool, and you want to share it with your friends and all this, and it was a good, it was a good message, not because I preached it, but because God showed up. But what happens tomorrow, Monday morning? What happens tomorrow? Well, for most people, it's back to the same old life that they've always had. But for you, his disciple, his believer, you will now walk in the world with resurrection power. You go, but Ben, what does that mean? You ready? Here it goes. The resurrection power of Jesus that we learned here in Matthew 28, it means you will no longer a victim, but you are a victor. Stop with the victim mentality. That's not who you are anymore. You win. You are victorious. But I want you to think about this. The prince of this world wants to come back and put you in your place in a defeated walk. But you understand he can't. Because Jesus resurrected, he is powerless now. He's powerless. You take every thought captive unto Christ. Boom, there it is. So my question to you, with resurrection powers, how are you going to handle it? Are you going to react or respond? You go, Ben, I'm not sure what you mean. Church, listen, Christians don't react, we respond. What do you mean? We don't play defense, we play offense. Huh? Huh? Listen, you're not meant to go back. You're meant to go forward. You see, defense means you have to get back in your stance and you have to wait for the... 
when you now understand the resurrection power, you're going to go forward. You're going to grow in your walks with God. You're going to see things. He's going to speak to you in ways that you've never heard. This is going to be, you're going to feel him. I don't know if you've, I don't know. I was sitting here in, in, in the middle of worship. I just kind of felt his love and forgiveness kind of wash over me. I was like, oh, I want to walk forward. I want to walk forward. Well, why? How? Because you have resurrection power. Now, very quickly, in the, in the days, in the months, in the years that you have, that we have coming, let me, let me share with you very quickly, have just a few minutes, what the resurrected Christ means to you. Hope and freedom. You go, freedom from what? Well, listen, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. He's alive right now, and he's wanting you to experience freedom. Freedom, what do I need to be freed from? Ready? If you're taking note, he frees you from emptiness. Emptiness. Okay? If you're feeling empty, you're not alone. Many of us feel empty in different ways. For instance, you might feel empty because something is missing in your life. The resurrection will give you freedom over feeling empty inside. He will come in and you will find hope in life once again. Emptiness. Number two, we're going to see freedom from guilt. Guilt is a feeling that everyone in this room is familiar with. It can be described as a bothered conscience, a feeling of cult culpability for offenses. We feel guilty when we feel responsible for an action that we regret. Knowing what we have done in this life and what we'll have to give an account for. See, Jesus comes in and he removes that guilt. The resurrection means you don't have to feel guilty anymore. You don't have to carry what you saw, what you did, how you did it anymore. You give it to the Lord. There's freedom from bondage of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. When someone offends us, we feel like they're trespassing on our rights. We feel like they owe us. To forgive them would mean to release them from that debt. We should remember that the word forgiveness has the word give in the middle of it. And it means that forgiveness is a gift and it's never deserved. But we offer that unforgiveness. Why? Listen, when we think of the time we're living in, we don't have time to maintain regrets, do we? Okay? To quote an old movie, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Guys, he also gives us, the resurrection means he gives us freedom from pain, both physical and emotional. Why? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Okay? That's physical. We can pray for physical healing. He has seemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's spiritual. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Okay? That's the verse you go to. How can I pray for physical healing? Right there. But think about what it did. It says, yet we esteemed him stricken, and he was smitten by God and afflicted on our account. 
Tolan once wrote this, quote, the purpose behind the suffering you are going through is to push you into a new freedom from a false definition of who you are, end quote. Let me give you another really quickly. Freedom from loneliness. You see, we have emptiness, but we also have loneliness, and loneliness is painful. It's painful. Without a doubt, this is the most frequently mentioned experience of loneliness. Words have been used to describe this type of pain to include hurt, sorrow, ache, sadness, depression, torn up, bleeding, and broken. And Jesus' resurrection is going to free you from that loneliness. Why? Because he's going to fill your heart. Number six, freedom from fear. The fear of what? The fear of dying, but also the fear of living. The fear of living. You see, it's one thing for you and I to stand up and say, I would surely die for the Lord right now. I'd give my life for Jesus Christ. But what he's asking us is to live for him every single day. To be that example, to be that light in a dark world but not have the fear, not have the fear to live and not have that fear to die. Okay, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. I'm going to close with a story. A story is told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. His friends asked, why have you become a Christian? He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked into two directions. And you didn't know which way to go. And there at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? The guy that's alive. Jesus is alive. And he's given us hope and he's setting us free. Do you believe that? Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us. Lord, my prayer is for the stones that are rolled upon the hearts of men and women today. Stones that are keeping them from coming into a salvation experience with you. Stones that that make people say, yeah, I want that, but I'm not sure. Stones that say, oh, one day I'm going to give my life to God. Father, I'm also concerned with the stones that are hindering people from a deeper walk with you. The stones of our past, the stones of our mind, the stones of our emotions, the stones of the things that we say or didn't say or failed to do, the stones of a hurt, the stones of a painful experience. And right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, much more powerful than an angel, your Holy Spirit wants to roll away the stone and to heal those areas in our heart. Lord, we give you permission to heal that area. And would you set an angel on it to keep the enemy from coming back and trying to roll it before we get out of church? Would you do a work, God, at Calvary Chapel Lubbock to see every one of these believers walk so victorious in you? Mm -hmm.
Would you do a work where someone says, I'm going to follow Jesus forever. I'm, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to be his disciple. Not because Pastor Ben said or the church said or this, but because I love him and I realize all that he's done for me. love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.